0: You know, when I when I, when I set foot here in the in the chapel in the chapel four years ago, I never imagined that one day I would speak in front of you. I would never imagine that. Why they would invite me? I would say, I'm just a disoriented guy who knows very little English, broken English and a very, with a very strong accent. So why would they? Well, I guess God has big surprise for me. <laughs> As for every one of you. Let me tell you a story that a dear friend of mine once shared with me. He was born and raised in Brazil But just to be clear, we are not talking about Brazil like Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo kind of thing. We are talking about Brazil jungle kind of thing. Uh, Wild Brazil, an untamed area close to Bolivia. How many Brazilians are here? There you go. (laughs) They're they're all over there. So, you know what I'm talking about. I've never been there, but I just heard that it's a very dangerous place. Uh, In those kinds of jungle, there are many swamps and rivers, and some of them are huge. So, so huge that when th- there are storms, it can be very dangerous. So in that kind of context, his father was a farmer, and he had to navigate the, the rivers with a small canoe for business. And one day, when my friend was a six-year-old, he and his parents were on one of those canoe trips. trips. But then, a strong wind came, and it started raining really hard so hard, that in a condition like that, even a regular boat would have struggled to stay afloat. They were on a canoe. They were in a very dangerous situation. They could have sunk quickly. In fact, her mother was frightened. And she started crying and shouting uh, at her husband, take us to the shore, leave us there, do not take us any further. But the shore was very far away. Again, the rivers are huge. And nothing could be seen on the horizon. The destination was still far away. And my friend, too, you, poor thing, it was a child. It was crying and shouting, Dad, Dad, Dad. They were so desperate and afraid. But his father, despite the screaming, did not react. He said nothing. He remained silent and continued to guide the canoe towards the original destination. It was an arduous journey, but in the end, they made it. Incredible, right? I don't know about you, but I never faced a storm in my life. And it's not like I want to, obviously. It must be really scary. It makes people feel lost and powerless. But I believe that we all can relate to those feelings some way, some way in another. Indeed, physical storms are not very different from the spiritual ones. From the storms of our lives. There are four things that can be said about them. First, storms are inevitable. Regardless of our condition, storms will come upon us. Second, storms are unexpected. You don't have time to get prepared. It doesn't warn you. It doesn't warn when it's coming. Third, storms are uncontrollable. My friend's father was definitely skilled. I'm sure he was. And I'm sure he knew that river very well, and he knew how to navigate through it. But regardless of his abilities, he has no way to control storms. Fourth, storms are pedagogical. Storms test us. They are deep moments of suffering and crisis. And it is in moments like those when we are called to grow. Because hard situations challenge us and question us. And sometimes, they even push us to see things from another perspective. When you face a storm, you gain experience. An experience that you wouldn't achieve otherwise. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, it says. And I believe it is true. I would even say it makes you more humble, skillful, mature. Now, let's try to apply everything that we just said to Mark's story in chapter four, the one that we just read earlier. The disciples faced a terrible storm, but they learned something from it. And let's take a look at the text. Verse 35, on that day, when evening when even had come, he said to them, let us go t- across to the other river, to the other side, sorry. And they the crowd. They took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boat were with them. And the great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat. And the, that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern. Asleep, on a cushion. And I'll stop right here. Because it's crucial to understand one thing before continuing. The miracle story has many narrative elements similar to the story of Jonah. And one of the reasons why Mark's story recalls Jonah's is because Jesus is undoing Jonah's reluctance to see the Gentiles blessed by the God of Israel. Jesus wants to go to across to the other side where the Gentiles are. But the disciples don't feel comfortable with that. Because like other Jews, they prefer God judging nations instead of saving them. So when Jesus commands them, because it was a command, go to the other side, he calls his disciples to think out of the box and to get out of, uh, get out of their comfort zone. Because the kingdom is coming. It has already arrived. And it must be announced worldwide because everyone must be part of it. The disciples were not really comfortable with that. Once we get that, the subsequent frustration of the disciples is even more understandable. Jesus' commandment to do something that they don't like And while doing so, they ended up in the middle of a storm. A storm so violent that it terrifies even experienced fishermen. Jesus' plans seems to be the reason for their misfortunes. And he doesn't even seem to care. The boat is already full of water and he's sleeping. And here comes the first of the three questions that someone asks in the story. First question, verse 38. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Those are strong words. Unlike what we saw in Jonah, the disciples, more than asking for help, they're accusing Jesus. His late rebuke confirms that. Their cry is an expression of despair and anger. It's an accusation question. Accusing question. The disciples are challenging Jesus, the Son of God. Think about it. How many times do we do that? Let's go to the second question of the story. Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I'll stop here. Jesus rebukes his companions with two incriminating questions. The second question expands the first one, making us clear and understand that their fear exposed their lack of faith, their failure to believe in God. However, before going there, I think there's there's another issue must be addressed to understand the disciples' reaction better. It seems to me that there's a misunderstanding here. The disciples have misunderstood the nature of this trip having wrong expectation of how he will look like. Again, what is this mission is all about? It's a mission trip, right? They are going out to the other side to save the world from spiritual death. The kingdom of God is really coming, and they are out there to spread this good news so that people can repent and enjoy this kingdom. They are going to sow so that the kingdom can grow. That is, that is what the previous parables are all about. Indeed, this miracle story is placed right after the parables in order to illustrate their very issue. Namely, the presence of God's sovereign rule. So the mission trip is about restoration. We can even say recreation. We are all familiar with this. And like in Genesis 1, creation takes place over chaos, which is precisely what the is of the story represents. In the ancient world, the sea represented the cosmic power of chaos and was understood as a deity who threatened to undo the order of creation. In the Bible, this hostility is even more explicit Because the sea is indicated as a dwelling of evil power. The point is that there's an evil force out there. And he doesn't like what we are trying to accomplish. And I believe this is precisely one of the points that Jesus is trying to make here. What did you expect from this trip? Do you guys really understand what we are doing here? We are going out there to dispose of Chaos Dominion. What do you think? That the Red Dragon just stays put there and watches us while we detrame him? Of course not. Of course not. Don't worry, I'm not a man of you, I'm just Italian. You know. Having wrong expectations can be destabilizing and very disappointing. And the reason why we often panic and lack faith in, in times of crisis is because, for some reason, we think that following Christ and doing His will is just a simple walk in the park. That is, that is what the disciples thought. And that's why they fell into despair. Wrong expectation. Being in and with Christ is a serious deal. It means being involved in a messy and chaotic situation. There is a great spiritual conflict happening in our midst. And if we want, to, if we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, things will get ugly sometimes very ugly. But I have a good news for you. <laughs> Satan is just a tiny little lizard in compared, to, in compared to our God. And the Lord is in our side. Amen. And here we are. Back to the main issues exposed by Jesus' questions. Clearly, the disciples were not mentally ready for this trip. We already addressed that. And because of that, their fear overshadowed their commitment to Jesus and their confidence of his care and protection. That was Jesus' accusation. Their faith should have assured them of their safety. Not the boat, not the weather app, not the insurance company, neither their skills. Professional fishermen were on that boat, and they were utterly powerless. Faith. Only their faith could assure their safety. Why should they have faith, though? The reason is very simple. Because a miracle was already happening. Yeah. Did you know that there were actually two miracles in this story? We know one well, Jesus calms the storms, but we generally ignore the other one, Jesus' sleep. The fact that Jesus is asleep is the first miracle of this story. Because he, is, he exemplified God's perfect trust and protective power. It's a miracle about faith. Let's be clear. It was, it, was, it was not the same thing when Jonah was asleep. Because he was attempting to escape from his mission. Jesus was on his way to do God's will and he slept on his caring. This is a miracle. Jesus has control and peace in the middle of a storm. Maybe I should say he has control because he was in peace, and he was in peace because he had faith. In that boat, there was the presence of God. That boat was in the midst of chaos, and probably it was the safest place on earth at that moment. And Jesus knew that better. There is more, though. Jesus' peaceful sleep in the storm is not just a sign of trust. It also indicates his sovereignty. Because clearly, it's not just a random dude. And the second miracle shows that. Again, the the parallel with Jonah is significant because it emphasizes the fundamental differences between those two. It shows Jesus to be greater than Jonah because he acts directly against nature. There is no call to another to perform, no prayer, no ritual. He just got up in order to see quiet, be still, and you know what it is even more amazing? That the command for silence was standard procedure for an exorcism. Indeed, the language, the language of Jesus' words against the sea closely parallels the exorcism of the demon in chapter 1, verse 25. Rebuke and silence. These are the two key words here. So as you can see. The story underscores in many ways the nature of the struggle. It is about goodness against evil. It's about creation against chaos. And if we get that, we understand the magnificence of what Jesus did and what Jesus was. Because Jesus accomplished what only God could do in overcoming the chaotic powers of evil. And his action, Answer the question posed in verse 41, the third and the last of the story. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? You know, one day, my Brazilian friend dared to ask his father why he didn't stop that day. Why well, he didn't stop on the, on the stormy day, and he didn't leave them on the shore? The answer was very simple. I couldn't. Because there were jaguars, snakes, anacondas, piranhas and, and many other dangerous animals out there. I could not leave you there. You would not have survived. There was no other choice. I had to take you to the destination, safely. My brother, sometimes we forget who we are dealing with. We are so caught up in their circumstances and scared that we forget who is guarding us and taking care of us. Being afraid is part of our nature. I'm pretty sure my friend was still scared when he faced other storms in the river. However, it was different afterwards, because he did not forget who his father was. He told me so. His words, I will look into his eyes and say to myself, we will succeed, we will reach to our destination. It's incredible how much a child can trust his father so bluntly. A normal human being, Of course, he didn't have any guarantees. But he understood that he was in the hands of someone acting in his best interests. We are not called to trust just another, a random person. Aren't we? We are called to trust Jesus. And who is this Jesus? Well... I think to answer this question, the Bible can help us. He is the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. He is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, Matthew 60, 60 16. He is the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come. He is the Almighty Revelation 1 8. He is the one who even the wind and the sea obey. My brother, let's not forget who we are dealing with. This little story is an invitation to not awaken our faith in God's presence and His absolute authority over the cosmos. Though we've got to be clear in this, Faith doesn't involve the confidence of having a happy ever after until the second coming. Faith instead involves the conviction that God's kingdom dynamics are at work. It means believing that the kingdom of God is already fully present in this chaotic world world, and that we can participate in it fully. Storms, therefore, will come to us. The Bible kind of assures us of it, if you think about it. But we should be confident in God's work. In those moments, we should look into Jesus' eyes and say to ourselves, we will succeed. We will reach our destination. Let's not forget uh, why we are going through this. Paul, in one of the most challenging moments of his life, speaks to Philippians. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. We need this confidence, brothers and sisters. I know it is difficult. The fear fear that we all need to overcome involves the impulses of our self-preservation and the temptation to have control of the situation. Which, guess what? Most of the time, is. Out of control. There are two distinct distinctive kinds of fear described in Mark's story. The first one drove the disciple into despair because of lack of faith, Phobos. And the other one is a reaction to what Jesus did to the storm, dailoi. The latter one is the same kind of fear when someone experienced an epiphany and the disciples experienced it. They did. This time, more than afraid, they were outstruck. The proper antidote to fear, Phobos, is the faith that comes from fear, the of the Lord. Yeah. Do you know which is one of the most repeated commanding scriptures? Scripture? I love this one. We didn't arrange it, I promise. Do not fear. That's the, the most repeated command in the Bible. Do not fear. Have you noticed that? Careful though. Why would God command that? Because nothing wrong would happen to us? No. The storm is still there and we are all in the midst of it. He said that because refusing to give in to fear for us disables the enemy's strategy. On the other hand, if we give them to fear the, the Lord, they loy, we, we have the assurance to get to the other side to victory. Yeah. And the enemy knows, knows that. That's why they tremble in fear. That's why, that's why they're so angry. That's why they want to hit us really bad. Do not fear, says the Lord. You will get to the other side. Let's not be afraid. Jesus is sticking with us on this trip together till the end. And if we have to suffer, he will suffer with us. If we have to die, remember, he already died for us. He won't abandon us. The water may get to us, but do not fear. We will get to the other side. We will get to that kingdom in a way or another. Because he is God. And with God, in our life, there's, there will be no storm that can bring us down. As we face the countless difficulties in our lives, let's try to imagine what it might be like to enact faith. To take concrete steps to draw... On the on the kingdom's power that is present present among us. Let's not forget who we are dealing with. Be strong and courageous, and fear alloy the Lord. The path of the kingdom can be tricky and challenging, but under His will and in His presence, we have nothing to fear especially if he's asleep. May God bless you.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. I will rise and sing the hymn, Though my fears encumber me, words that were written by the worship and music class. It's adapted from the hymn, hymn number 537, He Leadeth Me.